Hey, Team Fearless, I want to invite you in to be a fly on the wall as we have a conversation with Lame Kenny Kenny about how he's bought nearly 100 doors in just about a year, all with short-term rentals, all with creative finance. And he's going to give you some of the secret sauce here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. If you are serious about building your short-term rental business to $10,000, $20,000, maybe even $30,000 a month or more, you have come to the right place. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast, where we teach you all things short-term rentals. The best guests, the best tools, the best strategies. There are so many investing paths out there. It can be seriously overwhelming to start out as a new investor, but take it from me, short-term rentals is the best and the quickest way to build your cash flow. So buckle up, listen in, and get ready to conquer the world of short-term rentals. Here we go. Hey, Fearless community, before we get the show started, I want to let you know that you now have the chance to get direct access to me in order to grow and strengthen your short-term rental business. How? The Six Figure Formula Membership. I'm the only one in this space offering this value-packed membership for a stupid, stupid low price of $49 per month, and you get access to me my podcast guests, you get to be a part of our amazing private community, you get our full A to Z business in a box STR kickstart course, and maybe most exciting, especially for me, you get exclusive discounts that we worked for months to get that no one else is getting out there. Price Labs, AirDNA, NoiseAware, HostAway, and so many more at your fingertips. So become a part of this 6FF movement. Get started today for just $49 a month at fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF. Hey, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We were off last week because of the holiday. And this week, I'm really kind of wanting to share something that I didn't think I'd be sharing. And that was a private conversation that Lame Kenny Kenny and I had in our 6FF group. Now, this was a conversation that originally was just going to be pure value for our 6FF members. If you haven't checked that out, you know where to check that out. You've probably heard me talk about it to the death. Uh, but this is the kind of stuff that Lame is doing these days with creative financing. And it's crazy what this guy has done. And I want to bring him in. I want to have him do more content with us as we are kind of going into 2024 and just talking about how he's buying more properties. I want at one point I asked all of you um, if you didn't get the the question. Well, sorry you missed it, but I asked all of you, what do you want to do? Do you want to arbitrage more? Do you want to co-host more, or do you want to own more? And I feel like there's been a major shift in a lot of you in the last really six to twelve months because I feel like that answer that question about two years ago would have been. I want to learn how to arbitrage or I want to learn how to co-host. I don't want to spend money. And now a lot of you kind of transition, even rates the way that they are. A lot of you are starting to see like, hey, I want to own these properties. I want to actually know that whatever I'm paying towards the payment towards the equity is actually getting the equity paid down. And for that reason, I want to make sure that we give you the content, the advice, the tips, everything necessary to be able to do that. And this was the first step with this conversation with lawmaker Kenny Kenny. So Let's be a fly on the wall. Let's listen to what he had to share with our 6FF members. And I hope that if you do have more questions, you'll go ahead and comment on the YouTube video or if you're on the podcast, respond with some of your questions via email. Can't wait to hear what you think of this. Guys, we are doing this raw and real. I am in Hawaii right now, enjoying the amazing weather, um, but wanted to come inside for a little bit and talk some creative financing. This is especially a fun topic right now because... It's end of the year. Some of you are making too much money. Some of you need to 
buy some properties. I'm in that boat. Um, and, and just so you know, like we've done some creative financing deals, but I had to go out this year and get a pre-approved for a loan because I just got to go buy something. What's a pros? Good problem to have. Good problem to have. Yeah, it's a good problem to have for sure. You know, it means you're making enough money to say, I got to throw something at, at some real estate instead of throwing it back to the IRS. But you know, what, what I love about what Lame is going to go over right now, uh, you know, and we've, we've talked about creative financing. So if you're sitting here and you're watching this on the live, or if you're watching the replay, like we've talked about creative financing a ton, but personally I owned, let's see, Lame, I own three creative financing houses with our good buddy um, and my business partner, Stratton. And bro, it literally like two years into the deal, I still couldn't explain to people like what I was at, what these <laughs> properties. And like, I just feel like, and I've said this to you before, but I feel like there's so many people out there that want this kind of opportunity, but there aren't enough people that are explaining it in a easy to digest way. Pace is probably the only one that's really doing it, but there's no one in the short-term rental space that actually is making sense of this to me. Like, I've I've had a few people on my podcast and I'm like, yeah, you know what you're doing, but I think most people are hearing this right now. And it's like just going over their head. You break it down so simply for everyone to understand creative financing. And for that, I just want to do, you know, everyone in this group really has set out that they want to own more properties. And so I want to do more stuff with you. I want to bring you on here a little bit more. And I want to be talking about this because guys, in the background on Lame, he got 50 arbitrage deals in his first, what, seven, eight months? And we're yeah. 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 And then make sure of arbitrage and cost. But yeah. Yeah. And then you said, screw that. I want to own the property. And then now you've almost bought a hundred doors in the last like a year or just over a year through creative financing. Is that, is that a pretty good summary? Yeah. I, I now own most more than what I manage. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's amazing, man. So how, how many doors total do you think you have right now? Uh, we're at about like 150 probably. <laughs> give or take. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, we're, we're at a point now where we're losing some, gaining some in terms of co-hosts. And that's why it's starting to shift because now most of what's coming in to our business is stuff we're buying. So yeah. we bought 18 doors last month. This month we're on our, we have 10 under contract right now. So. So when you, when we talk about the Jedi has become the master, like that's, that's lobbying right there because I remember Two years ago, you came to me, three years ago, actually, you came to me, you were like, I'm thinking about getting this Airbnb thing. And you weren't like quite sure if you were going to jump in. And then like a year later, you're like, I just got to do it. And you jumped in, you bought in, you said, I just show me how to do it. And within like, I think within our 90 days, you already had like 13 properties or something like that. And I was just like, holy crap, who is this guy? And since then, like you now tripled my portfolio and you're owning more so it's just like i'm i'm guys i'm going to law me now and i'm asking him tons of questions so i'm just excited for people to hear this today so you know we don't really have a time limit on this probably we'll go under an hour on this but there's three things that we want to talk about today first of all like just hearing from lame what is creative financing especially specifically lame in the short-term rental industry i, I want to get really specific with that Number two, we want to talk about your first deal and all the things that you learned from that because, spoiler alert, he actually lost money on his first deal and he kept going. How about that? And so then I want to highlight just a like a major deal that you've done since then. And, you know, I want, I want people to be able to see just like how one deal can literally change your life with this. So 
Yeah, man. I mean, let's let's just, you know, I've done enough talking. Let's just like go back to really your decision to say, hey, I'm I'm kind of done with the coast and I'm done with the arbitrage. I want to start owning the properties. What led to that decision? Let's start there. Yeah. First off, dude, appreciate you and everything that you've taught me, right? It's funny to think that because I feel like I've known you for a lifetime, but it's funny <laughs> to think that our relationship only started three years ago. But I uh yeah, I uh I had started your course because I wanted to jump into my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went heavy into arbitrage, went heavy into co-hosting. Um, and it was going well. I mean, it was going really well, but the writing was on the wall. I think all of us knew that in the real estate market with where inflation was looking like it was going heading all the free money that was being given away. It was like, hey, it's only a matter of time. Um, and that matter kind time of- for... For Airbnb, I think to to slow down or for something to catch up in real estate. And granted, it, it wasn't you know I wasn't looking at it from a perspective of Airbnb is going to die. I just knew that the market was going to shift and we had to innovate or we would die, right? And so, because at the end of the day, whenever there's a down market, the dogs kind of rise to the top, right? People that understand how to be innovative and pivot are the ones that dominate. And uh, usually if you're early in that innovation, that's when you can really take advantage of the market. And that was that was my mindset. My mindset was like, hey, these calls are great. These arbitrages are great. But at the end of the day, they really don't change my net worth. Yeah. Like I, I don't own anything, right? And that was the big mindset shift for me of like, hey, well, if I want to consider myself a real investor, then I got to figure out a way to buy. Right now, at that time, the obstacle was the obstacle. It was the same obstacle I'd lived with my whole life in my career, which was I was a 1099 and I was very good at writing off all of my business expenses for my income. And what that did for me alone, 100%. What that did for me was it made it very limiting to be able to purchase a home. And so that's when creative really started to become a thing for me. And I started to just look every which way under every rock of like, how can I do this with the circumstances that are around me? How can I start buying in a way that I don't have to jump through all these hoops of like qualifying for a loan, of having seasoned money, having the taxable income, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, And that's when I was introduced to creative. And really, it was Stratton. Stratton was the one that first introduced me to creative and it was just a friend that told me. And, you know, it's funny because doing my first deal, I really didn't know too much about it. Like I still look back and I'm like, man, I can walk circles around myself back then with what I know now, but I still got a deal done. Right. But I, you know, I guess to kind of explain really what creative is, is as I started to dive in, we hear creative finance all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think people often misinterpret what that actually means. A lot of people think it's just getting creative with your finances, and that's actually not true. It's an actual umbrella term that essentially is there's with under this umbrella, there's a lot of different acquisition strategies that are that are alternatives to traditional financing, which traditional financing, you're going and getting a bank loan. You're qualifying for it. Your taxes have to be there. There's seasoned money. It takes at least at best 30 days or more. Typically, it's 60 to 90, right? 
what creative does and the two strategies under this umbrella of creative finance that I utilize the most are subject to and seller finance. Yep. And these two creative strategies, creative finance strategies are the two strategies that have allowed me to essentially buy all the real estate that I have today. And uh, in a nutshell, they're just at, at its simple core, just a very different and simpler way of acquiring real estate. So, so uh, re recap here, right? You, you couldn't get approved for a loan, pre-approved for a loan, feel that pain. I think most real estate investors and entrepreneurs feel that pain, even though we're making more money than we did as a W-2, you know, you have that opportunity to write off more. And when you can write off more, you're going to do it because you want to keep more of your money. So couldn't get pre-approved for the loan, right? You saw some of the writing on the wall of, hey, you know, these rents are going up and competition is getting bigger with short-term rentals. But you, you said, okay, I'm going to look into this creative financing thing because Stratton pointed to you. I think there's a learning lesson in that in itself, right? Like the people that you're surrounding yourself with, you and I both know about creative financing because of Stratton. I've now done five deals, I think, with Stratton at, with creative financing, four or five. And, and just like you, like I look back on my first deal, I'm like, I could not explain it. But, and that was the second list lesson that I take from what you shared. Just do the dang thing. Like 100%. Get, get out there and like, understand 50 to 70% of what you're doing. And then you, like for us, we use Rochelle. I know you use Rochelle too. I use Rochelle to fill in the other 30 to 50% of we didn't understand. Like when a, when a buyer or a seller, excuse me, a seller was like, well, how does this work? I would be like, that's a great question. Let me talk to one of our people that are going to help us with this, this coordinate or this transaction. And we would just go to them and get that answered. Uh, so you don't have to know everything, but you're getting ready to explain this sub two and seller finance. And so Lame, I want you, yeah, good. yeah, I want you to explain to me, let's start with seller finance. I feel like people understand that the most. So let's start with the least complicated one. How does seller finance work? Okay. So seller finance is when, and it's really just in the name of what, what it is, right? The seller is financing the property to you. They are becoming the bank. Now, important thing with seller finance is seller finance really only takes place, actually, I shouldn't say only, the majority of the time, a seller finance deal makes sense when the property is free and clear. Mm -hmm. um, now, a lot of people sometimes hear free and clear and they're like, well, well, there's not many. There's 45%, 45% of properties in the United States are owned free and clear. Yeah. There is a lot of them. And if you just put your head down and you work, you'll find them. And what you can do is when you find a seller, who is willing to sell or finance you the property, they will become the bank. So rather than going and getting a mortgage and jumping through all those hoops that we talk about, excuse me, you can build a relationship with a seller and create a note that has an interest rate that you are paying to the seller directly. So now you're paying this mortgage instead of to a bank, you're paying it to the seller directly, okay? And the beauty of that, the win-win in that is now you're not paying interest to an entity or to a bank. The interest is going to the seller. And most sellers that have, in my experience, that have free and clear properties, they're usually really financially savvy or financially comfortable. So a lot of the times, seller finance deals to them, they understand the value of it because they're taking this interest over time and it's passive income, right? Uh, so, and so, so pause really quick there because I, I want people to feel this. Some of you are like, 
kind of in the same situation as me. And what Lame just said there has has absolutely been true of my experience. Once you brought that to my attention when we were in Cabo, I was like, oh, that makes sense. If I if I'm talking to a seller who owns a property free and clear, they're either A, financially savvy because they've built up, you know, they have all this life experience probably that they paid off 30 years of a mortgage or B, they've made enough money. So they're financially uh, wealthy enough to understand like, hey, I, I know what investments look like because I own houses free and clear. So we actually, I, I pitched a um, an agent on the MLS recently on a $450,000 property. And he was like, well, this guy owns it free and clear. Let me see if he'd be open to this. And the guy literally responded to the agent with like, oh yeah, I've done that with tons of houses. I love that strategy. Like tell him that I'll do it at 6%. And the numbers didn't work out at 6%. So I had to counter and he didn't like the counter. But but it was to your point of like, it. I didn't have to explain anything. Like the guy already knew about it because he was financially savvy. So if you guys are like, and what the reason that this became an issue, right, was that in my market, we haven't seen real estate soften like your market in Salt Lake. And so the subject too, which you're going to explain here a little bit, hasn't been as much of a thing in my market, but the seller finance is such a win-win because that, that seller is going to make so much more money if they don't need the money right now, which is where most of these people who own properties free and clear are at. So I just wanted to edify what you just said there because that was a real life experience that I've had recently. Yeah. And and they're out there and they're out there and they're they're well within arm's reach is what I found. It's just you're just not loud enough. Mm -hmm. Right. Like there's enough sellers out there that are motivated that are or have a property free and clear and are motivated, maybe not in the sense of like in a hard position, but they're motivated to make money. Everybody is, right? And so so yeah, so I like that's just what I found in my experience. The second strategy, okay. Uh subject two. Um this is a strategy that I've used the most of, and I think with the market as it sits today is probably for the next at least 12 months, it's going to be a very valuable tool and asset to anybody that actually use it. But subject to is sure for buying a property subject to the existing financing, okay? There are people that bought a property. So it's crazy, this house, I'm gonna take this house I live in right now, for example, okay? This house, 3,000 square feet, five bedroom, three bath, it's in the heart of American Fork. It's a suburb here in Utah. I bought this property traditionally back in February of 2022, okay? Yeah. My interest rate on this is 4.2%. I have a buddy that moved down the street and he bought his house, almost the exact same specs. His interest rate, 7.2. Brutal. That's a 3% swing in just over a year and a half, okay? Yeah. Almost two years. The beauty of this, right, is that there's a lot of people that would not and cannot afford a 7.2% interest rate, meaning there's buyers that just aren't selling, they don't want to buy because it's so expensive. And so you, as a potential buyer, noticing that there's a lot of these people that have properties for sale, that their properties aren't moving because interest rates are so high, if they bought it two years ago or more, chances are they have incredible underlying debt. Yeah. Chances are they have an interest rate at least five or less. A lot of times fours, threes, sometimes twos, and in there lies the opportunity. So with subject two, if you find a seller that is motivated, that can't move the property traditionally, you can essentially take over the existing payments on the existing loan. 
i.e. payments that are 4%, 3%, 2%. And you can write up a note where you take over the existing payments and in exchange, they get a down payment. Maybe you wrap it and you pay them a little bit more monthly on top. And then there's typically a balloon, okay? And all that is, is there's a period in which you will eventually go and refinance the property traditionally to then pay them the remainder of the equity, okay? And so that's the benefit of it to the seller. And that's what subject two is, is I am buying the property subject to the existing mortgage. So I just bought a duplex on Friday of last, last week and my mortgage or my uh, interest rate on that was 4% flat. Wow. Right? That was literally half of what I would get now. And that's because the, you know, the underlying debt was good. The seller, the equity wasn't there. They needed to move it. But I gave them a down payment. I got the 4% interest rate. There's a seven-year balloon. So I have seven years to appreciate that property until I have to go refinance it traditionally to then pay them back. Worst, worst, worst case scenario, I can just sell the property. And chances are that property is going to be worth a lot more in seven, in seven years. I'm going to take that bet. So I want to break this down with some actual deals in a second here, but help me understand if, if I got a 3%, a 4%, even a 4.5% mortgage, like that's like having gold today. Why would I want to get rid of that? hundred percent. And that's, a that, that's something, it's an acquisition strategy that a lot of people often don't view it from the mind of a seller, right? Because as a seller, you're exactly right. It is gold. And so it has to make sense for you in some way, shape, or form. And usually that's, it's a give and take depending on the circumstance, right? Like the sellers I've been finding typically are people that the equity's not there. So like they would lose money if they sold the property. Mm-hmm. And they either need to be relo- relocated for a job or, you know, they just can't afford the payment anymore. So there's a lot of motivated sellers in that sense. But there's also a lot of skin in the game as a seller. If I'm selling my property on terms, if I have a 4% interest rate, like me selling to somebody at, if you can find a seller at 5.5%, 5.5, which is realistic in today's market because they're at eight and your underlying is 4%. Where do you think the difference of the 1.5% interest payments are going to? They're going to me as the seller. Yeah. Right. So I can leverage my good debt to be able to create passive income as a seller so that I now have this passive income of 1.5% interest payments on my house that I no longer really own because title and deed have now transferred to the new buyer subject to. But because of that, there's a massive benefit. I don't, if the furnace breaks, who's paying for that? The, the owner, the new owner. Yeah. But he still has to pay his mortgage to the lender. And who's that? That's Big Daddy, right? <laughs> so you're still getting your 1.5% and you're still getting the benefits of passive income without the liability of having to be an actual landlord, right? You're a bank and, now. Yeah. And you're talking about if you were to sell and wrap it or you talking mm-hmm. about if you were in the seller's shoes. Okay. So let me make sure that I... And both, right? It applies for both, for anybody that's selling on terms. So let me make sure I I re-explain this correctly, just so this sinks in for everyone. All right. I could could find a seller, like you said, they're they're needing to relocate. They can't afford owning two houses. 
they need some cash to be able to move to their new location. Maybe they got a job, maybe something happens. But if they sold their property currently on the MLS, they would lose money or maybe they would even break even and that doesn't really get them excited. In comes you and you say, hey, how much money do you need in order to move to this new place? They say, I need $20,000. Boom, here's $20,000. Now I take over, me, Lame, I take over title. Loan remains in your name because if I ever default, you're going to get the property back, right? So that's how they're protected, correct? That's correct. As a seller. Yeah. Yeah. So that's then, an important, important yeah. distinction, right? Yeah. Mortgage, title, and deed, two separate documents. When you subject to, you take over title and deed, mortgage stays in the seller's name, the original yeah. seller's name. Once again, the reason why we don't need to go out and get pre-approved for the loan because you're just taking over the current loan. Correct. Then seller says to you, okay, great. I'm cool with you taking over my payments if I get my $20,000 or let's go option B. Hey, I'm cool with getting the $20,000, but I don't like carrying that risk. I don't want the property back. So if I'm going to care, if, if, you know, I'm going to, you know, be scared about you defaulting, I need me making a little bit of money every single month. Okay, cool. Then that's option B. I'll wrap the mortgage. You got a 4% mortgage. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing in a five or a five and a half percent mortgage. You're going to make the difference on that, Mr. Seller. Meanwhile, me, Lame, I now have a five and a half percent mortgage instead of a four, but also instead of an eight or eight and a half. 100%. And, and now, now you go out and you, you short, you, you put it on Airbnb and you short term rental. And now you're making, you're making bank. And you bought it for how much down? 20,000. Yeah. 20,000. If that's a half million dollar home, that's a 5% down payment. Yeah. Right. Which I, is very doable. Got, well, and I just got pre-approved for a $750,000 loan. And I'm thinking at best, I can convince the bank that I'm going to, you know, it's going to be a second home and I got to put 10% down plus all the loan costs. I'm a hundred thousand dollars in yep. and, and I haven't even bought furniture yet. Right. hundred percent. But you have done million dollar deals and put down very low amount of money. Why don't you talk about one of those deals? Yeah. So we found a developer because John and his wife, they, I sent him the paperwork because he asked, uh, uh, he has to see it, but we, uh, so I found this developer. Okay. He had built all these properties. There's about 50 of them and he's a developer that's just made of stupid money. Okay. Like absolute stupid money. And, um, he basically was out with his own cash on these properties and he wasn't moving them because they were anywhere between 850 to $1.1 million. Okay. And long story short, what ended up happening was I approached him and I was like, Hey, listen, you're not moving these properties. You're just sitting here losing money. You own them free and clear. What if I just bought a handful of them and we come up with an agreement between me and you? And so I ended up buying nine of them total. Holy and God. we're going back to buy more of them, hopefully. I think I bought, after I bought the ninth one, he was like, there's something here. <laughs> You'll hear why, based on the terms. I bought nine of these homes. They ranged, I think the average of them was about just under a million bucks, like 950. For each of them, I put $60,000 down. Good Lord. $60,000 down per on a 4% interest rate. <laughs> interest only or principal and interest? Interest only. Wow. Interest only on for, for five years. And I have to balloon in five years. Okay. okay. That's a $2,000 payment. It's like 2,100 bucks is what it comes out to for a million basically dollar million dollar property. 
Okay. We have a few of them that are doing like seven grand, eight grand a month. And so it's, it's just ridiculous. Cause it's in a, it's in a part of Utah. That's like very sought after, like it's in okay. St. George. And, um, Anyways, it was incredible. So all in, because we spent about 30 grand was our budget per each home. And these homes were anywhere between four and five bedrooms. All of them were either four or five bedrooms. And we spent about 30 grand per each house. So all in, we're 90 grand, 10% into this property for property we purchased at 4% interest only. And it was a rent ready, live to go Airbnb. Brand Brand new properties too. Brand new build. Brand new build, warranties, everything. And we are absolutely murdering it on them right now. And so, and uh, granted, you know, I suffice it to say I haven't found that good of a deal since, but. <laughs> I mean, but, okay, so. Well, the, maybe. The missing, the missing link here that I know is that you're not using your $90,000. You're raising that money. Correct. Right? Yep. So let's talk about bottom line for you personally. Okay, so Lynn says, I don't understand why the seller would do that. So what's the seller's alternative, Lynn? So if I'm a builder, I have 50 properties. I'm out about $50 million on this on this lot. Yep. And I can't sell a single one with interest rates. And if you pull comps, one hasn't sold since the middle of the summer last year. It's been over yep. a year. So what what what's his alternative? His alternative is he continues to sit on the market and and not sell them. And now, granted, I think I may have introduced him a new way of selling. <laughs> and, that, and that's, I, I haven't checked to look, but I think that's why he stopped selling them to me, right? Yeah. Uh, because I was the first one to approach him and introduce this acquisition method to him. So he has two options. Either I'm sitting on this, on these properties for money, like, like, like I'm just losing money, or I get 60 grand. 4% of interest only payments, meaning in five years, which is the balloon, I'm going to have to go get traditional financing on these properties. And he's going to get the full asking price in cash when I refinance, which yeah. is 950. And until then, he's just making passive income on these homes that alternatively were just sitting there doing nothing. Well, right? and, and Lame, I think the best question I've ever heard on this is who makes the most money in a real estate transaction? The bank, the bank always makes the most money. It's not the seller. It's not the buyer who's eventually going to sell again. It's the bank because whatever that purchase price was, they're making two to three times as much over that 30 years as what the actual price listed was. A hundred percent. So really quick, I want to, I want to share my screen and bring up my calculator because I want it. It's such a good question, Lynn, because I was the same way. I was just like, why would anyone want to do this? And now like me. I'm looking at, my wife and I are always having conversations of like, hey, in 20 years, 25 years, when we have like 20 paid off properties, we don't want to sell them. We want to, we want to sell or finance them. Like yeah. that's our exit strategy. And we want to become the bank. People okay. don't realize like the amortization schedule. Yeah. Like what it does. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, all right, listen up. If you are not using Price Labs, you are literally throwing money in the trash. Dynamic pricing is a must in our industry. If you don't know what that is, dynamic pricing is just a fancy term for supply and demand pricing. When demand is high, Price Labs will get you high price bookings. And when demand is low, it will fill up your calendar while the competition overprices themselves 
and leaves everything vacant. I was dumb in the beginning of my short-term rental journey. I thought I could do it all without Price Labs. So one day I just said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to try this thing out. And immediately my income went up 15 to 20% on my listings. I really was kicking myself. I should have been using this from the beginning. So don't make the same mistake as me. Get started with your free 30-day trial at fearlesskyle.com forward slash price labs. Or even better, how about getting 25% off your first six months as a thank you for being a part of the STR six-figure formula membership? That's right. Go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF to become a member and claim that discount today. Really quick here, Lame, um, I did do some side math here and let's take the million dollars and multiply by 0.4% and divide that by 12. I've actually got that coming out to a little bit more. You said about 2,100. I got 3,300. Is that correct? Or did you structure that a little bit differently? So it is definitely cheaper than that. It's in the twos. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, that works. Yeah. Well, just even in this situation, right? Let's just take that, for example. $3,300 basically times, you said, five-year balloon? Correct. 60 months. Times 60 months. Right. He's making two hundred thousand dollars in interest only payments in five years. Plus, he's going to get the million dollars that he originally wanted for the property. And he has a guaranteed buyer. Right. Like whereas right now he has nothing. So make one point two million dollars on nine properties, each of them on, on each of those nine properties over the next five years or drop the sales price to what eight hundred thousand dollars just to get them off your plate and it sounds like this guy's in a position where he has the flexibility to say i don't need the money now i just need to know that i'm not going to be sitting on these for the next five years a hundred percent so and it's crazy how much sense it makes for both parties yeah it really does like he's making great money on this i'm have an incredible property in which i can cash flow and based on the numbers I'll probably make the bulk of my cat. Like I'll make my entire down payment cash on cash a hundred percent in under 24 months for yeah. property. And so, and the best part about this is think about it. If, if we get to a point where in five years I can't refinance the property at the end of that contract, guess who it goes back to if he doesn't get his money, he gets the property back. Yeah, he gets the property back. Yeah. He gets the property back and then he just made 200 grand plus Ooh, his house back. You or know? you have a relationship with him and you say, hey, listen, as you've seen, prices have gone down. Can we extend this thing out? Can we do another two years and wait for prices to go back up? Right. Like exactly have those conversations. Exactly. Whereas the bank, the bank would tell you to shove it. Right. Like exactly. The, you got a contract. Yep. Yeah. In a bank relationship doesn't exist. Right. It's just yeah. not there. And so with these, there's so much more flexibility for both. And the best part about it, too, from my perspective as an Airbnb operator, and this is where all of us that are listening to this in this community, the 6FF, this is the ace in our pocket. We can create income on a property that in the future is going to allow us to be open and more available to traditional debt products, okay? Now we're talking about DSCR loans, right? We're talking about investment loans. These are loans that if I can just be a good operator, and do what I do best, and that's cash flow property, based on this incredible debt service that I've created, then all I need is two years of income to then go to a bank, a traditional bank, and show them the last 24 months of income. And at that point, it'll be five years, right? So all five years of income. And I'll be able to show them. And based off of that income, they will qualify you for a traditional loan. 
Yeah. And that's my exit is I will be able to refinance this property, pay back the seller. Uh, hopefully by that time, there's going to be equity in it. But chances are in five years, there's for sure going to be equity in it. And the market's probably going to be better. I'll refinance. I'll keep the property. And hopefully by then I'll have some equity in it to maybe get some money out of the refinance. Who knows? But Or, or worst case scenario, right? Like you can't refinance. You can't sell in the open market because you're going to lose money. So you just do a for sale by owner and now you wrap that mortgage, right? Yep. And, and that's, well, and I was going to say, because when we wrap it, and this is, this is the cool thing that I didn't understand that took me a little bit to get, when you wrap it and you sell it to someone else, you're selling for a future price. You're not selling for the today price, right? That million dollar property, let's just say in five years, right? You say, Hey, if I were to refinance right now, I wouldn't be able to pay off this balloon. This guy, you know, did, what would you say his name is John, Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. John, John's like, Hey, no, I need, I need this now. Okay, fine. Like, let's go ahead and well, well, now that I'm saying that out loud, maybe not. Because he, he yeah. Cause you got, money. yeah. Cause you got to keep, so you're, you're saying like wrap it. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to do it outside of the balloon, right. but you can wrap it. Like if I bought a property on incredible terms, like I just negotiate a great term, yeah. you can wrap it right away and then just write it and then whoever you wrapped it to, they have to have a balloon in place. And if they don't, then you have yeah. to balloon it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, that there goes my idea. But either way, I mean, the the thing that I I think is important here is the relationship, right? And then you're, you're raising you're raising the money. So yeah. I know each one of these deals, you're cutting it in a different way to make sure that the the investor gets what they want. But what's like a typical deal for someone who says, hey, I've got that 90K, I'll invest with you, Lame, I trust you. What are they getting and what are you left with by the end of that deal? So they are getting equity, they're getting a split in the profit share and they are getting truly passive income for them as the investor. And so me as an operator, I'm just leveraging what I know to be able to really create and leverage equity in these properties for nothing, for none of my own money. Yeah. Right. Because what's crazy is like even be even for a lot of people, even just owning half of what the deals I create is far better than what they would do on the traditional market or themselves, just because they don't know. It'd take them years to learn what I've done. Hundreds of thousands of dollars to learn what I learned. Right. And so you can create a lot of opportunities for other people um, by leveraging these, these strategies and, and using specifically more specifically creative finance into short-term rentals. That is like my niche that has created a lot of opportunity. And really it's just allowed me to learn that good deals, guys, good deals. They aren't found. They're created. Hmm. The best deals are created. And so leveraging this six FF knowledge that you have, which is where I started and knowing how to run a short-term rental at a high level based on the things you learned in this course and then taking that and leveraging it on how to buy properties and make those bought properties cash flow is all of what you need to know to start raising capital and that's a good segue to talk about where you're getting most of your leads and also joe has that question of how do you approach someone but before we do that i just want to put a bow on the top of this so you give equity and cash flow how much equity, how much cash flow if someone's bringing all the money? It's really proportional to 
the setup and the deal. Um, so give me, give me one, give me one example of like your middle of the road. So it's just fifties down the middle for everything. So 50 okay. equity, 50% cash flow, 50% depreciation. Those are the three value adds typically the cash flow, equity yeah. in the property, and then depreciation. Uh, we'll push and pull levers based on whatever anybody needs. So if somebody needs more cash flow, um, I'll give them more cash flow in exchange. I take more equity, right? And so, so like, for example, this million dollar property, right? You and I both know through cost segregation, you can probably get right around 300 to $350,000 right away with that. With you getting 50% of that, no, you're not putting any of your money in, right? You own 50% of a million dollar property. You own 50% of that $300,000 that you can cost seg in year one to decrease the amount you're paying back to Uncle Sam and... Based on the numbers you were telling me of that 3,000-ish net profit per month that you're making, you're getting half of that. So you're netting about $1,500 to $2,000 per month, and you didn't use any of your money. You didn't have to go get a loan. This is, I mean, yep. it's like, yep. and, and uh, Paras said uh, in the beginning here, he said, I feel like I'm missing something. It seems too good to be true. <laughs> and and it, it really does. But I think the difference here, correct me if I'm wrong, Lame, I think the difference here is that most of us will be like, that sounds cool, but man, that's a lot and, and we won't do anything with it. Meanwhile, someone like you says, man, that's a lot, but I want to freaking do the thing and I'll just figure it out along the way. And that's really it. It's crazy. Like, it's just crazy how, and you know, I'll be very specific here, how simple it is. It's not easy. It mm -hmm. is far from easy, but it is very simple, right? Because like what we're doing here is a lot of relationships. It's a lot of learning. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of work, but it really is this simple. It really is. And that's what keeps people from doing it is like, you know, when I go to these sellers, you know, it took me, as you know, Kyle, it took me a lot of no's before I got my first yes, even in arbitrage. Yep. People are always like, dang, how'd you do it? And it's like, and I remember when I first started, you asked me to come and to talk about how I got my first, like, you know, my, my 30 contracts or whatever. And like, I remember going through all of my messages that I'd sent out, all of my contacts leads. And I had gotten like 20, 30 no's within like two hours before I got like my first soft yes. Right. Yeah. And the point being is like, people, people just won't like, People won't put that kind of work in yeah. for two hours. People won't go past all those no's. And that's why I say it is this simple. It really is this simple. But you just, you just, you just have to want it. And people just won't do it. It's crazy. It's crazy. I tell people all the time exactly how I did it. Yeah. Literally exactly how I did it. But it's like there's still like people just choose not to do it. I, I'm listening to a book right now. You probably heard of it by Mark Manson. The art, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. <laughs> Have you heard of it? Yes. Yeah. So good. It's so it's it's you know um, if you don't like hearing cussing, then read the book. If you don't like reading cussing, then you're gonna probably want to have someone else highlight or sharp out <laughs> all the bad words. But oh my god, he says something in it that just remind me of what you said. And he said people spend too much time making vision boards and talking about what they want as a result and not enough time thinking about what they're willing to tolerate 
from a pain standpoint in order to get what they want. It's not about what do you want? It's about what am I willing to get in terms of rejection and pain in order to get that result? Because at the end of the day, yeah, I, you know, I, one, one time I wanted to be a sports anchor for, uh, for the Chicago Cubs. And then I realized, well, I also want to be a family man. And if I'm going to be traveling for six months out of the year, that's not pain that I'm willing to tolerate. And I got out of the industry. Right. And it's the same thing that we hear, like when people say they want to do creative finance or they want to do arbitrage, they want to do short-term rentals. And it's like, you, you want that result, but are you okay with the pain that comes along with it? And most of the time you're just not. And so that's why I feel like most people are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, that's cool. And I'd like that result, but I'm just not willing to, to put in the work. And that's okay, right? Like we we have to be very specific about where we want to put in time and pain and, and yeah. all that good stuff. But well, uh, I think that now's a good time also to just tell yeah. you my background, guys. I started yeah. door to door. Yeah. Right. That's why my tolerance is so like there's there's no harder job than selling something door to door. And I did that for six, seven years. Yeah. That's like the industry I was born in. And like, you know, what's what's you know, 20 calls and two hours of people saying no and rejection. What, you know, that's nothing to me comparative to knocking on 30 doors a day, you know, right. and getting real rejection in your face. And so there's something to be said at people's tolerance of what they can handle. Right. And uh, for me, it's just, you know, when I, as soon as I pivoted my focus into real estate per this very simple method and acquisition and strategy, it, it turned out really well. I love it, man. Um, we got a few questions here in the group and I want to make sure they get answered. So this first question from Evan is two parts. I want to start with the first part. He says, Lame, what does your team look like to help you find these deals? Really good question. So originally when I started, um, you were looking at the team, baby. I was everything. Yeah, I was the uh, <laughs> acquisition manager. I was the finance of the back end. And that's typically how it starts. Um, I like to think that my business is booming because I've done every part of it, including cleaning, right? Like I've cleaned my own Airbnbs, right? And so I like to think that same way with acquisitions. Like really, you don't need a team to start. You just have to pick up the phone. Just start picking up the phone, start having conversations, start failing and start failing frequently and failing often. And you will. On the MLS? Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, my very first deal, excuse me, my second deal was on the MLS. My very first deal was just in, like, came from my Airbnb portfolio. I've told you that. Like, all of us, if we're actively managing, you have people right now in your circle that are, that, that would, they, they're looking for an out yeah. or they're motivated more than you realize. And so, cause I, my very first deal was somebody that called me because she wanted me to run comps for, to see for duplex and be an Airbnb. And then it just turned into the conversation of, well, what are you trying to get out of it? Okay. Well, what do you, what do you like about it? What do you not like? She hated being a landlord. The equity wasn't there. I was like, okay, so would you want to sell? She said, yes. <laughs> and so those conversations are there to be had, but, yeah, really, it's, you know, right now it's just picking up the phone and just grinding it out and getting a really loud, posting on your social media, I'm buying, I'm buying, I'm looking for properties to buy, who's selling, and going from there. So you're co-hosting clients and cold calling from the MLS, but I also know that you're leveraging realtors. 
Yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah, that's another really good one. So one of the things that we have in our in our arsenal, guys, is we have real time data in our very specific and niche market, uh, which is short term rentals, right? And um, I at one point was going to every broker and I was just saying, hey, if any of your realtors have an investor that's looking to close a deal that's a second home or maybe it's an investment property, I'd love to run free comps. Like I'd love to just give them an idea of what it looks like in terms of, you know, what it would look like as a short-term rental. That got me in the door to get a lot of co-host gigs because then people would start asking questions. I'd give them a little flyer that would have my information on it, yada, yada. Um, but then you start to develop relationship with these real estate agents that basically like became very valuable for me as time went on because I went back to these agents whom I had taken care of because they were closing deals because people were buying them specifically for short-term rental because I was running options for them. Even if they didn't run it as a short-term rental, they helped close the deal in the sense that there was multiple things they could do with the property, right? And when you do that, you get a lot of trust from the real estate agent. And then the agent then, for me, later on became very valuable. These agents became very valuable when I wanted to buy. Because then now I was like, hey, if any of you have properties or sellers that they're not moving the property, they're struggling, they're motivated, Bring them to me and I'll let you represent me. I'll let you represent me on the deal. You can take the buyer's commission. And then I, in turn, I want you to get them to be motivated to sell to me. So now think back to when you were first starting. I always talk about, you know, when I was doing arbitrage, I was cold calling for the first three months and then I never had to cold call again. Mm hmm at what point did you find either that you are no longer having a cold call or that you were have you were getting more inbound leads coming in because of these relationships with realtors versus having to do a bunch of cold calling at, at what point right cuz like to me the biggest thing right now is i'm thinking about it from the way that i do business and i'm like i want to be able to eventually have inbound leads so that i'm not always the one having to pick up the phone and do the cold calling or having to hire a big VA company to to do the cold calling. That's kind of where my mind goes. So talk me through that a little bit. Yeah, and, and that's really where my, you know, where my, like, is kind of to answer, you know, the question of what does my team look like today? I actually don't have an outbound team. Yeah. Like, just because I have so much natural lead flow. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that just started by way of, like, just building your personal brand and getting really loud. I uh, I market myself as the Airbnb guy. And I'm continually looking for real estate meetups, for real estate agents, brokers, all these groups and bodies of people where I can go in and just give free value. Whether I'm talking about pricing strategy, whether I'm talking about this, that, and I'm marketing myself as the Airbnb guy. And then through that, just letting them know, hey, by the way, I'm also buying, right? Yeah. And that became a huge funnel stream for me. And deals, whether they close or not, beget more deals. Yeah. And that that's the honest truth. Whether deals close or not, me entertaining them, like showcasing, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm a legitimate buyer. It begets more deals. Like there's plenty of agents that like, you know, we get to the finish line, just doesn't turn out because numbers don't work out. But like they're more than hungry to go and bring you another deal because they now know you're serious. Right. And so it was kind of a momentum builder. And like, to your point, you really only have to be all hands in and all, all of your efforts in this whole brand building and getting loud in your market for 
a short amount of time before you start to see results. But to start out, it's a lot of just like getting really loud on your social media. That's what I did. I got really loud in my personal, in my personal circles. I was trying to give free value every single thing I attended. Yes. Or now, I, I mean, you see my Instagram. I'm pretty much speaking at an event every week. Yeah. Like I'm getting asked to speak. And like every time, inevitably, every time, inevitably, when I speak some more, I walk off stage and there's a line of people waiting to give me a deal <laughs> and right. sell or money. Right. And so it's just crazy what personal brand can do for you. Couple questions. And I think this is the most important one to leave people with the tools, with the script, with the know how of how to approach these landlords. How Joe says, how do you approach someone like, this with with this opportunity right what are you saying to them to get them to say yeah that that has my interest yeah really good question so i'll put it like this because i think it's less of what you say and it's more of how you approach them <laughs> if i have to give somebody a cash offer i have to be a shark because that acquisition strategy i have to cut myself in the deal and I have to reserve enough margin to be able to purchase the property from them. So I have to offer 50, 60% at most of the value of the home to retain my value of me, of what I'm going to do with it. Right. And so I have to be a shark in the world of creative finance. It really is about solving problems. Right. And that is really the mindset in which you should approach every seller. So when I'm approaching a seller, I'm trying to understand their situation. I'm asking less questions about the property specifically and more about the context of their, of their circumstance, right? How long have you lived in the home? What has the home been prior? What is your plans with the home? When did you buy the home? What's your plans after you sell? What are you planning to do with the down payment? What, what's your current occupation? Has there been any reason why now you choose to sell? Where are you struggling with financially, right? And as you can see, the more questions I ask, the deeper they get, business, like trust is built. And then I can start to get an idea really of the context of their situation. And there in the context is where the deal lies. Yeah. Because they will tell you exactly what the deal needs to look like yep. to be able to then execute, right? And I can't tell you how many people I need the down payment. What do you need the down payment for? Well, this. Oh, well, what's that? Okay, well, what's your situation? Oh, you have $50,000 in credit? Oh, okay, cool. So you have credit card debt that's hurting you. Okay, so what are you planning to do? Oh, you want to go move to Missouri with your sister? Oh, cool. Okay, so you need to do this quick. Okay, so you need a down payment. Oh, it's going to be primary residence. So you need, oh, maybe another 10 grand for, you know, 3.5 on a $350,000 home. Okay, cool. The, all, the, all the context will tell you everything. In that simple conversation, I learned credit cards. I learned what the down payment was. And with those, I now have a value of a cash value of what they need to execute on their next team, right? And that's where I would say the approach comes from is just coming from a place of understanding very clearly and asking enough questions to understand the full context of what is happening. And it's question-based selling at its finest is really what for, it is. For sure. The, the one piece of context that I know, and please correct me if you're no longer doing this, to open the conversation with this seller you told me that you were saying, I'd be willing to overpay you for this property if you're open to selling this to me on terms. 
is that still the opener that gets them saying, well, what does that mean? Or what, how, how, how does that work? Like just to, just to open the conversation. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, a lot of times it won't even be, you don't even have to say overpaying. Cause if they've had the property on market for, you know, 90 days, like usually it's already overpriced <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's why. So it's like, you know, a big line is, you know, and I, I heard this from Pace Morby. It's like, I will give you exactly what you're looking for. If you'll give me terms. I like that. Right. And so, I think that's way more specific and not giving away the farm before you even find out what they need. 100%. And then from there, it's just relationship building, rapport, asking the right questions, and the deal will reveal itself. They'll tell you everything that the deal needs to, like everything that the deal needs to be for them to move. And you just got to ask enough questions. So Okay. So we're getting to the end of the hour here, and I've got another call right after this. So I want to wrap this thing up. But... um Am I overstepping my boundaries? And if I say, you know, like Joe and Evan, Justin, Lynn, Paras, they're all asking questions here in the group. If they find a seller that's willing to have that conversation, they're just like, I don't know what to do next. Are you, are you open to coming in and, and being a part of that deal? Yeah. No, I'd love to. I'd love to help. And especially for people that have deals that they feel like are potential deals and, uh, you know, maybe don't have the money or... You know, want to, yeah, I, I would love to help wherever I can in that. My only ask is that if you have a potential deal, you've done enough of your own homework and you've fully, not fully, but you've understood enough to where you've walked them far enough the line to where it is a good deal. It is a potential deal. And usually that means they understand creative finance generally. You kind of have an idea of terms on the table. Mm -hmm. If those two things are present, then usually you've done a good job of teeing it up. So yeah. perfect. So how, how can people get connected with you? What's the easiest way? Uh, my Instagram, H-A-I-L-A-M-E-K. And you can just DM me there. I get, I can honestly say I've bought 10 houses off of Instagram DM. So I'm not just saying that just to say that DM me that you have a deal. Let's chat there and then we can talk. K. Yep. H-A-I-L-A-M-E-K. Well, I just put that in the comments. Evan. Saw your question about getting home set up and everything. Just because we were really focusing on the process of creative financing, we didn't get to that. But uh, Lame, you're in the group. If you wouldn't mind jumping over there and and maybe putting a, a few sentences together for Evan just to to get him an, an answer on that. He's basically asking stuff like, "Can you explain your setup process and time frame to completion and and all that that good stuff?" So um, that'd be awesome to get an answer for him. Anything else, bro? Before we end this thing. No, I'm just, uh, I appreciate the people that are here. Hopefully this was valuable and um, I, I'm i free game. Let me know how I can help. So We didn't even talk about your first deal, but I mean, we just got so deep into, into the weeds on a lot of the stuff that uh, I'm glad we broke down a few deals though. If you guys enjoyed this, let us know. Uh, Lame and I have talked about doing more of these kinds of conversations, just a little bit more trainings on creative financing, a little bit more laid back conversations, talking about specific deals. Um, if this was fire for you, let us know in the comments. If you even have more questions, put them in the comments and we might even create another video for you. But um, yeah, man, I appreciate you. Hey, thank you, brother. Thanks, 6FF. Appreciate you. All right. Talk to you guys later. The dude is an absolute beast. He's become a really good friend of mine and I'm really excited about all the success that he's had. And I'm excited that you got to hear all of that right now because 
you know, with, with, with creative financing, I'm just telling you, like, he's not blowing smoke up your butt. This is really going to be something for the next 12 to 24, maybe even 36 months that is going to be a prominent exit strategy. And I was kind of hemming and hawing about this for a while because I thought to myself, Lame, you're in Salt Lake. This is a good location for you in Salt Lake. But just in Fresno, where I'm at, in the last really six months, we've seen listing count, which was already crazy low in Fresno. Listing count has gone from about 400 or 500 on the MLS to nearly 1,000 listings now on the MLS. So that means that people, buyers really, are letting properties sit because of interest rates right now. So if you are a buyer coming in with this kind of strategy, Think about the power that that brings to that seller who is stuck, who is sitting there wondering how I'm going to get rid of this property. And at that point, how much they're willing to negotiate and maybe extend the life of how long they own the property or extend the life of how long they're receiving payments from the property. And you can come in and be that knight in shining armor to help them out. So I'm excited you got to hear this today. I hope you get to share your uh, thoughts in the comments on YouTube, or once again, if you are listening on the podcast, respond to me via email. Let me know what questions you have. I want to hear from you. Go ahead and do that. If you don't have the email, info at fearlesskyle.com, info at fearlesskyle.com. All right, that's going to do it for us today here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. We're helping you to conquer the world of short-term rentals. See you next time. Hey, Fearless Investor community. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Fearless Investor. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And for more free content, check out my YouTube channel, also called the Fearless Investor, and our website, www.fearlesskyle.com. Until next time, keep on conquering the world of short-term rentals.